Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. All right, guys, today on the show, we've got John Kasman. He's helped people invest in over $90 million worth of multifamily apartments. He's the host of Target Market Insights, multifamily and marketing podcast, and he's a co-creator of Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, among many other things, uh, but we'll get into all that. John, welcome. How are you, sir? Devin, thank you for having me on the show today. I'm excited to talk to you and uh, great to be here. Yeah, no, great to finally have you on the show. I've been a, a guest on your show, I think a couple of times now. Um, we talk about all things multifamily. Of course, we'll get into some marketing stuff on this podcast, which I'm excited about, and that's that's your forte. Um, but for, first of all, before we kind of dig in all that stuff, for those that uh, that are not already kind of you know introduced to you and and your company, where are you from, and you know where are you based now, and and how did you get into this whole multifamily world? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Midwest kid. So born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio now, and I've made stops in Detroit and Chicago and Dayton along the way. Um, But for me, you know, my journey to multifamily really started in corporate America. So probably like most of your listeners, you know, I I had a a W-2 job, corporate America. And, um, you know, I got to the point where I realized that I couldn't quite rely solely on my corporate job to take care of me for the rest of my life. And I think that was really solidified back in 2008. I was working in Detroit, big automotive company, and I'm working the corporate headquarters. And we went into, you know, our financial downspin and I'm sitting there and we're talking about bankruptcy and layoffs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I watched the person next to me get let go, you know, and uh, it kind of was, an eye opener. And then even amongst that, you know, I saw other folks who kept their job, but maybe they got shipped to, you know, literally one lady was a vice president. She got shipped to Shanghai. And wow. uh, you just think about the way your your life is up, upheaved, right? And just the, uh, the way corporate America works. I just realized that it really wasn't the right thing for me to do long term. I enjoyed it while I was there. I certainly have nothing negative to say from that standpoint. But I wanted to have more control over my life and where I lived and those kind of things and started to turn real estate as a means to give me more flexibility, more control and more freedom over the direction that my life was headed. So started investing at that point. Excellent. Excellent. I appreciate the, you sharing that. I mean, I think that's a, a common theme among a lot of real estate investors is a seeking a whole level of freedom that they're that you're just not able to find, which is, which can be disheartening when you kind of structure your whole life around going to college and getting a job <laughs> and working really hard in that job. And then you get to a point where you go, well, this, this is definitely isn't the, the last stop. You know, there's gotta be more to it. Was there a resource, a person, a mentor or a book that, you know, I, I imagine, I appreciate the succinct overview, but I imagine it wasn't just day one where, boom, we're doing real estate. What what was the kind of uh, aha moment for you to make start making that transition? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, there was uh, there were a lot of aha moments, right? I, mm-hmm. I think the first one was uh, back in college. You know, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, like many people, and it really helped to crystallize the way money worked, right? And not just the the dream that many of us were taught about getting a, going to college and getting a good job and working a job until you retire. And that's exactly what my father wanted me to do, right? My dad was straight blue collar. You know, he worked two jobs in his entire life. 
And he would have worked one job if he wasn't essentially forced to get that second job, you know. Um, but he believed you get a good job, you stay there, you work there until they kick you out. That was his whole philosophy. So when I got to GM, he was like, what? Like, dude, you're never going to leave. Like, are you crazy? You stay here for life. And I was like, eh, I feel like there's other things I want to do in my life. So we had a, a quick back and forth over that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that book opened up my my eyes. The The situation on the bankruptcy was kind of the second thing. But I would say it's one thing to say, hey, I need to do this. It's another thing to actually pull the trigger and take action, right? right? And many people listening, you know, they're listening because they're interested in investing. They just haven't figured out exactly what to do, or, or maybe you've invested, but you're trying to scale. So for me, that first property was really difficult to get because uh, I was living in Detroit at the time, and this is 2010, 2011. And, you know, everything you're reading is still you know, chaos and panic. So uh, everybody who I knew that owned real estate in Detroit was trying to sell it and selling sure. it for pennies on a dollar. So it just didn't seem like the right time to be investing. Um, and I ended up moving to Chicago and really made it easier on myself because we just decided to house hack, buy a two unit building, live in one unit, rent out the other. So after I got acclimated to the city a little bit, I went and found a two-unit building to live in, and that kind of got the ball rolling. So I didn't have to go in and just say, hey, let's invest. You know, I was able to kind of do it the easy way, in my opinion, which is buying that house hack. And that's something I implore anyone to look into if you can, because it's a great way to get your feet wet, get into the game, let someone else pay your mortgage and build up equity, and then figure out, do you enjoy this? Because you may realize, you know what, not for me. I don't want to talk to residents ever. I don't want to deal with any maintenance requests. Like just not what your, your cup of tea is. And that's fine. There are a lot of other ways to invest in real estate without becoming a landlord. But for me, it was a really great way to get started just to learn a little bit more about the process and understanding, you know, everything we're going to come to screening tenants, collecting rent, lease agreements, all that stuff. And then from there, it was able, you were able to, to scale and grow and, and build a bigger portfolio. Yeah, I love it. I mean, for anybody listening, that's, that's starting kind of from, scratch with real estate investing house hacking is an awesome way to do it um were you able to and, and that's one real estate strategy i have not employed but i've heard so many people do well with it especially in conjunction with a va loan you know i mean i've seen that work for a lot of folks where you're getting a hundred percent loan from the va on i think up to a four unit and um I mean, if you've got the ability, if you're listening and you can, you can qualify for a VA loan, go get it, go start house hacking. Um, were you able to cover a majority of the mortgage note with, through that or all of it, some of it? What was that? What did that look like? Yeah. I mean, when I got into it, I assumed that I needed at least 20% down. So we saved 20% for a down payment. And as we started the process, we actually found out about an FHA loan, which not as good as the VA loan, but with the FHA, you only have to bring three and a half percent down. So right. I was able to finance 96 and a half percent of the property. I was prepared to bring 20% down. So I wow. suddenly found myself with some excess capital. So we actually reinvested that and did some upgrades to the property and things like that. But um, through all of it, yeah, the, the resident covered probably like 70, 75% of the mortgage note um, with the, the one unit there. And then if we were to rent out our unit, um, we would certainly cash flow and make some money from that standpoint. But yeah, it was just a great thing because, and ultimately here's the deal. If you're renting today, if you can make more or save more money than what you're paying in rent, you're going to win because right. you're, you're creating equity. 
you you have the equity pay down on the mortgage you have you know someone else who's covering most of the expenses you get some tax breaks there's a lot of other benefits there not to mention the experience that you're actually going to accumulate so it is a strategy i like it's not something that i would do over and over and over just to keep you know house hacking um i know some folks who do it it seems you know a bit over the top for me um, but it's a great way to get started. Once you get started, then you can understand the power of multifamily, whether you want to stay with small multifamily or you want to scale to larger multifamily deals getting into commercial space. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, and I, I tend to agree from what I've seen. It seems like a great place to start, maybe not a forever investment strategy. Um, how did you how did you fare with your tenant being next door? Did that work out? Was there some crazy drama? Did you get lucky with the tenant? It was perfect. And I'm going to give you a great tip. Anyone who's seriously considering this, here's a power tip for you. If you are going to house hack, you are then going to rent to your neighbors. And think about it this way. Live in the area that you want to live in anyway. And make sure you think about the residents, the neighbors, the other folks who'd want to live in that area. What's the mindset? What kind of things do they enjoy? What are the amenities they're looking for? What are they seeking? Are these working professionals or are these partying students? So if you are going to go out there if, in house hack, you basically get to pick your neighbors. So go ahead into a neighborhood where you can attract the kind of neighbors you want. They'll pay you to live there. And if you are picking a neighborhood that you'd want to be in, you're ideally going to find like-minded individuals who want to be neighbors who respect privacy, maybe who respect, you know, um, quiet times, uh, folks who are like-minded as far as where they're at in their life. So for us, we had great residents. Every time, every single time we had a turnover, we were able to find either young professional couples or newlyweds or someone who just was, you know, single and starting out professionally, people moving from the suburbs into the city, but all of them were, were great, highly qualified because we lived in a great neighborhood. So that made the screening process very easy. Now, if you try to do the strategy in rougher areas, yeah, you're going to, you're going to run into those challenges where someone's banging on your door and saying, Hey, this is broke. But we just told everyone what the process was up front. We say, listen, if it's an emergency, by all means, call me or knock on the door and let me know that the house is on fire or, you know, <laughs> water is pouring through the kitchen. But if it's, you know, you got a leaky faucet, shoot me an email between the hours of, you know, whenever, between the hours of eight and five, I'll respond and we'll get someone on it. We'll respond within 24 hours. But if it's an emergency, by all means, reach out right away. And everyone respects that. You know, you can text me. It's okay to, to shoot me a quick text to, to let me know something. But we created those boundaries immediately and made it really clear up front during the leasing process of what the expectations were, how to respond to us. And by the way, we actually, I mean, they all knew we were the owner, but we didn't walk around and say we're the owner. We just say, yeah, we managed the property. So, you know, people didn't, they didn't treat it, I think, any more than that. I think most people probably figured out that we were the owner, but we always try to maintain the fact that, hey, look, we're the managers. If you have a question or an issue, let us know and we'll address it. Um, but that made it really easy for us. And again, I think the key is really about the neighborhood and the selection of folks. Uh, that's going to make your life a lot, a lot easier if you're selecting neighborhoods with like-minded folks that you want to run to and great neighbors versus, you know, just trying to get the most cash flow that you can get. Great, great tips. Love it. That's house hacking uh, gold right there. If, if somebody listening is interested in doing that. Yeah. I can't count the number of times I've told someone that I'm the manager, uh, 
you know, my brother's the owner or I work for the owner. I do work for the owner. Right. But uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good strategy right there. Yeah. I like that. Uh, so great, great start. And thank you for the detail and sharing some tips on, on house hacking. Um, what was it that led you to, you know, the larger, I mean, you folk, you guys focus now on, on larger multifamily yep. and, and larger commercial properties. That's a big jump in a lot of people's minds. I think a lot of us can kind of inherently understand this house second concept or owning a single family rental. It's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, easy to grasp as a concept, maybe buying a 150 unit apartment complex, maybe not so much. So was there, was there a period of transition for you there or did you kind of, you know, start jumping immediately into that via, you know, your network or what would that look like for you? Yeah, I think the biggest piece was we bought a, a three unit building after we bought that duplex in about, I think two years later, we had finally saved up enough money. And by the way, we were using all of our own money for these deals. So we had saved awesome. up enough money to buy an eight, eight unit building. And I really wanted to get a commercial property. I really wanted to hire a professional third party property management company. So someone else to actually manage the property. And I would be more of the asset manager um, because I wanted to build this experience. At this point, I realized that this was a long trek. Uh, me saving money, investing in properties. It was a long trek to get to where we really wanted to be. And I talked to a lot of other more sophisticated investors, more successful investors, and they all told me that in order to really scale, you have to be willing to partner with other people. And up to that point, we hadn't partnered with anybody. We'd done everything by ourselves. So this property for me was really about gaining the experience, the credibility, the knowledge to feel comfortable partnering with other people. So we bought that eight unit building. And then from there, I immediately turned to say, okay, now this is the last one we're going to just, you know, strong arm ourselves and figure out we need partners, right? So I started to just put that out in the universe. And, and there's this thing that, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the, the teacher will appear. Well, we closed that property in November. The very next month, I met the person who ended up becoming my, my mentor. And um, that really opened up the door and the, the mindset to the possibilities, in no world was I ever thinking about buying larger apartments. Um, I, in my head, I was like, all right, I got this eight unit. Now I want to get a 12 or 16 or maybe a 20, right? A 20 unit. Go crazy. Um, and that's kind of, I was going to go nuts with it, man. So <laughs> <laughs> that was really my, my line of thinking, right? It was like, all right, let me just continue to scale this and grow at, the, at a similar pace. Um, and keep in mind, I'm in Chicago. So that eight unit was a 600 some thousand dollar property. It wasn't like, you know, a, sure. $150,000 joint. So, I mean, to say that kind of way myself, I was like, dude, like we gotta, we gotta get some, some help here. Um, so in talking to, you know, my mentor and starting to build my network with other folks who are looking to really scale their portfolios and start to attend events and conferences. And I met other folks who are doing really big deals and looking to do really big deals. And what I realized was that the smaller deals were actually really difficult for me to find that made sense for both me and my investor. Now I could find a deal that I could cash flow and make good money and be satisfied with the returns. But for me to give, you know, a, a 10, 12, 15% return to another investor and still make money myself, that was really hard to come by to, to make it worthwhile, right. For us to, sure. to go out and do those deals. And that's when I started to say, all right, there's gotta be a different way to, to structure these deals or to do these deals. And the larger deals actually penciled a little bit better. So uh, met a guy, he was doing a deal. We decided to end up, uh, and I met him months before, but 
um, as we were talking, he ended up getting a deal uh, under contract and he asked if we were interested in partnering with him on it. So we ended up moving forward and that kind of opened up the door to some of the larger deals that we've been working on since then. I love it. I love it. Thank you. That's, that's the perfect, uh, kind of overview for, for, I guess what I'd hoped, you know, I mean, it's amazing to hear that you were, that you got all the way up to buying what's a relatively expensive eight unit, right? I mean, it kind of all things yeah. considered that, you know, you're talking uh, over half a million dollars. That's, that's a get started getting serious investment level here. And you got all the way to that point without even, you know, starting to look at, at branching out, partnering, et cetera. And then once you start to explore that, it, uh, it can go pretty quickly. Uh, and it can scale up pretty quickly once you kind of learn to cooperate at a high level. Uh, that's kind of what I look at it as just high level cooperation lets us all take down these big projects. Um, at what point in that journey did you, um, you know, you started Target Market Insights a while back now. How, how, how many episodes are you guys in on your podcast now, John? We just released episode 224. Fantastic. Congratulations. And that's a bi-weekly show or are you guys doing that weekly? Bi-weekly now. So we, um, we were weekly for the first, I want to say two years. And um, around this time last year, we decided to go to twice a week. Outstanding. Outstanding. And I like that you guys have a marketing focus. Talk to us about how, um, you know, the genesis of the podcast, you know, the marketing focus and, and what's that been like um, for you, you know, these last couple of years running that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the biggest thing for this show, for me at least, and anyone who's doing a podcast, I think part of it is you you selfishly have to address something that you're really interested in, right? Because right. if you're not interested in the show and you're just doing it because you expect to get some some other benefit, it's gonna come through. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna fail, you're not gonna be inspired to keep going. So you have to launch a show with something that really gets you excited. Um, for me, the big thing was I, the success that I had had investing up to that point, it stemmed down going back to the neighborhoods, right? That first mm. property I bought, I bought in an area called North Center in Chicago and North Center was the only neighborhood that didn't lose any value during the economic downturn. 77 distinct neighborhoods in Chicago, one didn't lose any value. I saw that stat and I said, that's where we're going to invest. What, I, don't, I don't need to see anything else. It could be crime central. But I'm telling you, if it didn't lose any value during that time, got to be stable, right? And it obviously was a really nice neighborhood. Um, sure. I could never find that you know, neon sign with the arrows pointing data point since then, right? And I was like, always looking like, all right, hey, that was great to find that neighborhood. And we crushed it with that deal, by the way. Um, and I was always looking for that. And I couldn't find it. The next deal we bought was in a place called Avondale. It's right next to Logan Square, which is a great neighborhood in Chicago as well. And then we bought a, the eight units. So I was trying to figure out, okay, I can't find properties that cash flow for me and investors. I need to go find better cash flowing neighborhoods. But I was really concerned that I was going to you know, go down to a place where maybe I messed something up or I missed something. It's not going to appreciate. So I was really trying to figure out how to find the best places to invest. So I launched Target Market Insights really to focus on the market research, the data points, what all the other successful investors were doing to figure out where to invest, especially those who are investing out of market. So if you go back to like the first, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 episodes, all of them, I'm grilling the guests on you know market market data 
like the literally the, the macro market, the sub market, what part of the city is seeing growth, like streets. I'm asking like, where are the cutoffs? I want to see on a map, even markets I don't right. care about. I sure. want them to detail to a T what, you know, where the markets are, where the sub markets are. Because for me, what I was trying to do was figure out how do I learn how to find the best place to invest, no matter what city it is. If you were to throw me in any city, you said, hey, John, go to Phoenix and find me the best sub market. I wanted to figure out how I could find the best submarket in Phoenix in a relatively quick time frame. So that's really what the show started off as. Now, my background's in marketing. I mentioned that I was working in corporate America, but I actually worked in advertising, marketing, did a lot of you know advertising campaigns, um, influencer initiatives, events, all sorts of stuff, really cool things. And with that, market research is really just one component to marketing. And branding's important. Um, promotion and building awareness is really important. Um, building a, a brand and starting to connect with other people. So all these different things started to play, come into play, not to mention digital marketing and creating a website and email marketing. And I realized that, man, this website or this, this podcast, we've done a great job of helping people find the best places to invest, but I actually need help myself, even though I've got 15 years of marketing experience. There are people who have been doing email marketing, for instance, for decades, and that's all they've ever done, or someone who's done social media or just Instagram for decades, and that's all they've done. So I wanted to, the ability to bring those people on my show, one, to learn myself, what are the best Instagram people doing? What are the best LinkedIn people doing? What are the best email marketers doing? So I can incorporate it into my own business, but then also share that market knowledge with our audience. Because as you know, when you get into multifamily investing, particularly in the syndication space, it really is a business and any business needs strong marketing to be successful. So the show really more from being just about market research to really being more about multifamily investing, plus the marketing tips and tricks you need to be successful. I love it. I love it. Thanks for the overview. And I, I, I uh, really resonate with your comment about making sure that it's something you're interested in because you're, you know, you're 240 shows in now. That's quite a bit of a commitment on your part over time and you have to be engaged in it. Right. And it's not going to be a, Hey, we're six episodes in and, and um, you know, money's just raining down from heaven. It's, this is like a multi-year long-term play. Have you been able to, through those, that kind of pivot, stay interested in it, you know, along the way, or has that been, uh, I mean, it sounds like you've been able to, create value for others through it and also stay fascinated and motivated yourself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of it for me in particular was we started off in a bit more of a niche space, right? Because right. when I launched the show, I really struggled with the idea of launching a podcast and, and maybe someone listening, they're trying to build their brand. Right. And that, that stuff sounds cool. Maybe it sounds cliche, but I think the reality is, is that if people don't know who you are, they're not going to work with you. So you right. have to figure out ways to build a brand. And as I was thinking about building a podcast, this is back in 2017, by the way, when I was thinking about launching a podcast, I didn't think the world needed another real estate podcast. And I was dead set on it. And I remember being at a conference and I'm sitting in the back and we're actually at dinner and I'm talking to three other guys who have podcasts. And I just thought I said, I said, I don't see why. Um, anyone else would launch a real estate podcast. I don't think there's plenty. If you want to learn about real estate, there's enough real estate podcasts to go out and learn what you want to learn. And the feedback I got really changed my perspective. And the insight was you don't launch a podcast 
just to build this massive audience or brand. You build it so you can influence the people in your circle, first and foremost. You build that credibility, that influence with the people in your circle, then you can expand that to other people, right? And if you are creating value, if you're serving people, then you will have something that can grow. And that really helped me understand that it was important for the world to hear my voice, right? Because there are plenty of voices out there, but there's no one who's going to say it just like you or do it just like you. Just like there's plenty of shows on TV, right? There's plenty of magazines and blog posts and all these other things. But to find your tribe, to find the people who are looking for the information you're doing, that's something that you can always do and you can always own that. And as I did that, I wanted to come out with something that could really be unique and stand out. And for, for me, the thing I struggled with was finding that the best place to invest. And I felt like a lot of other investors may be struggling with that as well. So I launched with that. The, the one downside was it was a niche, right? It was really tight and you can't go and get millions of downloads if you are that focused. You know, it wasn't like... Uh, um, the, 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 you know, the best real estate show or, you know, bigger pockets or some of these other shows that are just broad. And if you just sure. type in real estate investing, it wasn't the real estate investing show. Right. So that would have been a better thing to launch by the way, <laughs> but because it was broad enough where people are searching that and they could find me. Um, but because of that, I felt like, Hey, we need to expand this just a little bit so that there's more value to the show and it has longevity because also I felt like I got the answer to my question about four, 30 or 40 episodes in, you know, how to find the best place to invest. I felt like right. I got that answer. Right. So it's like, well, do I want to do another 150 episodes where I'm asking these guys the same question? I'm getting the same answers back. Or do I find a way to, you know, expand this thing and make it more robust? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And um, to be able to pivot like that, still keep it marketing focused, still have it make sense, but, but you got to continually find interest in it as the host. And I think people can, pick up on that, right? Your listeners understand whether you're engaged or not. Uh, I love it. Well, thanks. <clears throat> thanks for sharing that. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the event, you know, you, uh, or, or events in general, but you know, you mentioned going to events, connecting with other people, uh, being pivotal. That was very pivotal for me as well. I mean, change, changed my life. Right. Uh, and now you're co-creator of Midwest real estate uh, networking summit. And I would love to hear your perspective on, you know, what going to these events has done for you and, and two, you know, the genesis of, of putting together your own event and how that's gone for you. Yeah. Listen, the, the summits, a, it's a great opportunity to connect with investors. I love events. Um, you know, I used to do events as a marketer and I would watch the experience that people have at events. And, and by the way, when we say events, I mean, that could be everything from a conference to, you know, a concert experience or a net a meetup. I mean, the, there are a lot of things that could be entailed. And um, when I began my my marketing career, I worked for an agency and they had this, uh, they, they, they did event marketing and they had um, these three symbols and it was a um, kind of a, a, a smiley face with just like the straight line across it, you know, I don't know, you, you yeah. call that. And then it, right. it went from, it basically went from uh, being unaware to being entertained, to being enthusiastic. And the point was is that you can change people's perspective through an experience. So a lot of what I did in the marketing world was always about changing someone's brand connection through an experience. And when we talk about 
networking and going to these different events. Part of it is trying to build the connections you need to invest. You know, for a lot of people, you may not have the investor database today to do some of these larger deals. You may not have the operators that you know to invest passively. Um, you may not understand certain aspects of how a deal works or, you know, various things like that, or maybe you need a partner or someone to help you. Um, but going to these events allows you to connect with like-minded individuals. So that was really one of the biggest things for me was trying to find other people who are trying to do the same thing, had the same goals, and were really like-minded in that aspect. When I started off investing, keep in mind, I, I came from corporate America. So most of the people I knew in my personal network had no interest, no desire, like did not even think about real estate investing. And I became consumed with it. So the only time I had, I felt normal was actually when I was at these events, when I could talk to other people who were just as consumed and obsessed with real estate investing. So that started to become my outlet. And as you make those connections, now you can find potential partners. And I go back to the, the big first big deal we did. That's exactly what happened. I'm at this event. We connect with someone. Seven months later, we end up doing a deal with this individual, right? And that's what can happen when you go to events. You meet these connections with people who are serious, who are committed, and ready to move forward. Um, so we launched the, the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit uh, three years ago. And it really came after I attended an event out in San Francisco. And um, I realized that all the events we had in the Midwest were these, these pitch fests. You know, you get mm -hmm. someone from HGTV sure. or, you know, A&E or whatever TV show and they, they'd have their marketing campaign and you know the drill, right? They give you the free, the free workshop for an hour on a Saturday or Sunday at some hotel. You do that, then they sell you the $197 three-day three day weekend joint and, and there they'll, they'll upgrade you to the $35,000 mastery program. And I, I went to one of the uh, the events and I enjoyed it, actually. I mean, the day three became we didn't go to day three, actually, but uh, the sales pitch got real strong on day two. But what sure. I will tell you is. It really sparked this notion that, man, if there was an opportunity to go to events where there wasn't a sales pressure and you could really just learn and it was about education and connecting and building a network to thrive that could be very powerful. And we did not have that in the Midwest. So we decided to create it. So that's what the event is. It's all about networking. So it's the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. Um, it really is all about connecting like-minded individuals. It's not li limited to multifamily, by the way. So if you're a wholesaler, single family rental guy, um, you're a node investor, it's all about connecting people together who are ready to elevate their business. Uh, but going back real quick to the uh, importance of events and why I think an event like this was necessary is the caliber of attendees at a paid event, especially an event where some folks are going to travel. It just elevates it because these folks, they're serious. I mean, they're investing in their future. So if you pay, Isn't a, few that the dollars, truth? You pay a few hundred dollars to attend an event, you are there because you expect to connect with people or learn something that was going to help you grow your portfolio. It's not just like, you know, going to a meetup. It's not a knock on meetups. I love meetups. I, I attend meetups. I host a meetup. But a meetup is more casual. You know, you may just decide, hey, I'm interested. I'm curious about this. I'm going to go, right? If you're curious, you go to your local meetup. You check it out. You know, maybe you go the next month. Maybe you don't, right? But when you pay a few hundred dollars, 
you you book your weekend, you hop on a plane. And don't get me wrong, I like virtual events too, but I, I think the in-person, you just can't beat. You hop on a plane, you get a hotel, you know, you are locked in on this experience for three days. Those people are committed and you can really do some huge, huge improvements when it comes to building your network and uh, moving the needle forward as far as those connections and looking to connect with people who want to do business and are seriously committed to doing business. So I'm a big, big fan of events. And it goes back to everything I've learned both in marketing, as well as just the realistic opportunity that these people are serious. They're looking for something and we're all in a room together and you don't have to be shy. I don't care how shy you might normally be. You already know everybody there is there because they're trying to build a real estate business. If they were happy with their portfolio, they wouldn't spend the time and energy to come. They would stay home and swim in their, you know, swimming pool full of coins. I don't know, but they, they just wouldn't come out to something like that. So I, I think that there's something reassuring knowing that you are in a safe environment with people who are looking to grow and they're one, they want to meet someone like you. Yeah, I love it. That's a great overview. And for, for those of you listening that have, you know, want to grow your investing career and have not been to an event like this, you think about, you know, an airfare, airfare hotel and, you know, 300 bucks to attend a conference, right? It's like, that doesn't sound like a huge barrier to entry, but it, but it really is, you know, to clear the schedule and to leave the family for a weekend and all that. Um, you're right. You get a room, a room full, potentially hundreds of people that are like-minded and it sure changes the, quality of conversation. I think some people are trying to build a business, talking to investors and talking to people maybe in their network that kind of have zero interest in it. And that's just a long uh, uphill battle. You know, if you go to a, uh, you know, you fish, you fish where you, you uh, fish where the fish are, right? I mean, you go to the area where everybody's already interested in that and it's going to exponentially uh, increase the, the results you're having. I love it. Yeah. It's, this 2020 has been interesting um, with the, you know, uh, inability to do live events, but we've done some virtual events that have gone well. I know you guys have as well. I mean, mm -hmm. um, and hopefully in 2021, we can transition back to, to actually doing some live events. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the key, right? It comes back down to building those connections. And if you can't do it in person, virtual is the next best option. So, I mean, you're still taking people who are dedicating their time to, to doing this. And, you know, I, I say for, for the folks who are actually looking to be operators themselves or syndicators who are looking to connect, you know, I always say that there's, there's three things that you need, right? You have to have the, the credibility, the confidence, and the connections. And right. the connections may not be in your network today. You have to understand that. You know, I don't care who you know and, and how much money they have. It's not about that. If they're not interested in investing passively or figuring out ways to lower their, their tax benefits and all those things then you're going to have a hard sell because they're not thinking about real estate investing. On the flip side, there are tons of people who are interested in this, who are expressing interest. That's why they're listening to podcasts. That's why they're going to webinars. That's why they're attending these events because they are interested in how do I get some passive income? How do I lower my tax liability? You know, how do I create generational wealth so that all of these hours I'm spending working and all this time I've put in my career isn't for naught when I'm done, you know, I want to be able to pass something along that creates a real impact. So if you can connect with those individuals, now you've positioned yourself to actually build a business and grow and serve other people. I love it. I love it. I, I want to ask you, what is, what is something you're working on now in your business that you're, that you're excited about, you know, for the, for the kind of foreseeable future here? 
Well, I mean, I think deal flow is always a, a big thing, right? I think this industry really comes down to two things. It's well, three things. First is deal flow. Um, second is going to be your your connections or your investor database. Make sure you have all the capital you need to to do deals. And then third is going to be execution. So the deal flow is, is the thing that I think we're working on the most, just trying to make sure we are seeing more deals, evaluating more deals, and have a chance to put in more offers, um, especially coming out of, out of COVID. You know, I think it's really important to take a look at as many deals as you can, torture test them and make sure you're being as efficient and um, doing all your due diligence to create great investment opportunities. Um, so outside of just increasing the deal flow, one thing that we're working on right now, kind of just going back to the, the marketing aspect, is we're looking at all of our marketing channels. We're trying to figure out like, you know, where, where are the holes, you know, so on, even on the deal flow, it's like, well, are we seeing enough deals? Are we evaluating enough deals? Do we have enough connections? Do we need to connect with more brokers? Do we need to speak with them more frequently, right? So there are all these different things. And we use a, a CRM system that helps us stay on top of the connections that we have, the, the outreach that takes place, and just really evaluate them and figure out, all right, do we need to do more work? Um, so really just taking a look at our, our business operations, especially when it comes to the level of activity that we're doing. Are we attracting enough people into our life, into our database and making sure that we have automated a lot of this so we can be efficient, um, but thorough. You know, I want to make sure that a prospective investor, um, they, they get the information that they need as quickly and as efficiently as possible to answer and address any questions they have so that by the time we're getting on the phone, it's more of a gut check, get to know you type thing than, hey, teach me everything about syndication and what to expect. So part of this is like, how do I help? Because people don't want to reach out on those things either, right? Most people right. listening, they want to read and, and get comfortable and check things out by themselves. They don't want to get on a phone call because they're a little concerned of a sales pitch or, or the pressure that comes with you know, hopping on a phone call or maybe being a bit exposed because maybe they don't know uh, some of the investing terminology or, you know, they just don't want to be swindled, you know? And um, I think sure. if you can give people the information and educate them, let them make their own decision. You know, the folks who, who like you, who trust you, who've, you know, gained some respect, gained some knowledge, they'll reach out, they'll get on your list and, and um, you know, they'll want to get more information when the opportunity is right. So we're just trying to make sure that we're looking at our systems and our processes and trying to be as efficient as we can because it's easier to put in the work up front and make it easy on the consumer versus, you know, doing our two hour phone conversations with prospective investors because we didn't do a good job of educating them on what to expect. Yeah, I love it. No, that's great. That's great insight. Thank you. Um, this has been great. I think <laughs> there's, I could ask you questions all day because I love your take on things. Um, for those that are not in your universe already, John, what's a good way for people to, to reach out and connect with what you guys have going on? Well, I mean, the easiest thing is, um, you know, you can email me, john at casmancapital.com. Um, but if you don't have something specific you want to say, that's fine too. Um, the best thing is really to go to our website and we have a sample deal package on our website. Uh, just Excellent. go to casmancapital.com slash sample deal. And whether you are interested in investing passively, it's a great way just to get a sense of, you know, um, what a deal package looks like. You know, maybe you have some questions that come up. We will send you some follow-up emails just to help you understand what we see in that deal package and what to look for. And if you are interested in doing your own deals, you know, maybe you've, you've have a little bit of experience and you're ready to bring on investors, but want to figure out how do you actually 
get them educated and bring them on board, it's actually a great tool for that as well. You can see what kind of information we put into our deal package, what kind of things you may want to convey to potential investors, and learn a little bit more about some of the marketing things that we do uh, so it can inform you as you look to grow your investor database. Outstanding. We will link to that in the show notes. If you're viewing this podcast or listening to this podcast, the URL will be right there in the description. So go check that out. Connect with John. And uh, John, thank you very much for jumping on. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely, Devin. Thank you for having me on, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you. All right. Likewise. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com. 